You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I want to remind you that there is an entire website called wealthformula.com, jam-packed full of additional information and resources, which you really should check out. Amongst them are my book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which you can download as an electronic version, it is sort of my wealth 1.0 book for beginners uh, and uh, gives you a nice foundation of real asset investing. There's also other things you can sign up for on wealthformula.com, including the accredited investor group, otherwise known as Investor Club, which uh, there's lots going on in that, that area right now. If you're an accredited investor, if you'd like to put some lazy money to work and you want to be part of DealFlow, join our group. This is a group of accredited investors. You sign up, uh, you will get a survey. Uh, basically, um, at that point, you uh, have a conversation with me and then we can potentially uh, start talking about some of the opportunities that we do within investor group. Again, to be accredited is not something that you have to apply for per se. An accredited investor is something that you are or you are not, sort of like being pregnant or not being pregnant. An accredited investor is simply somebody who makes $200,000 per year, $300,000 per year if filing jointly and has a net worth of a minimum of $1 million outside of their personal residence. So if you're in California or New York and you just got lucky, that does not count. Uh, anyway, check it out. It is a very active uh, group of individuals. Uh, go to wealthformula.com and sign up for Investor Club. Finally, even if you aren't an accredited investor, but you just can't get enough of Wealth Formula podcasts, listen, I understand. Uh, you should join our personal group, Wealth Formula Network. And Wealth Formula Network is started off by a course which gives us a basic foundation which everybody should have. That course is called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. And uh, after that, uh, you have an entire community that you become part of, including a Facebook page. Uh, we have a portal with additional information and probably the most popular aspect, the bi-weekly Zoom video uh, calls that we have, their mastermind calls, which people tend to uh, really enjoy. If you cannot find people to talk about this stuff who really get into it, you need to find a little community outside of your neighbors who only want to talk about football and grass and things like that. Um, you know, check it out. WealthFormulaRoadmap.com. We'd love to have you. As far as this week's show, let me start by saying that uh, last week I got a few emails uh, that uh, uh, were wondering what the heck I was doing sending out these quote-unquote scammy emails from my friend Tika Tawari about investing in pot, in cannabis, marijuana, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and looking back at those emails, I totally get it. For one thing, I didn't really, um, you know, I didn't really put an introduction and say what I was doing. I was just basically, you know, putting in Tika's uh, uh, emails in there. And if you read those, they might actually sound a little bit like snake oil advertisements, right? Because, well, they're sales letters. That's why. I mean, um, but as you know, I pride myself on not being a platform for internet marketers or for people raising capital uh, that have no clue what they're doing. 
I will say that in my early podcasting days, I was certainly less careful about who I interviewed. I was more interested back then in sort of this idea of exposure to broader alternative investment opportunities without necessarily advocating for anything. So say somebody was doing some agricultural uh, product in the Caribbean somewhere, I didn't really look into it. I just thought it was interesting that they were doing it and wanted to learn more about what something like that looked like. It didn't mean necessarily that I was advocating for or that I was an investor in it myself. Um, in fact, some of them I would never invest in at all. Uh, as a podcaster, I thought I was pretty much just providing education and that people would surmise uh, that this was education and not jump to the conclusion that I was supporting a particular investment. See, the problem is that once you get behind the mic, whether you like it or not, you end up being a bit of an influencer. And so I ran into this problem where people thought I, just because I was interviewing people, I was supporting them. So you have to be careful when you get in a position of any kind of influence uh, that you, um, you know, that you are very careful about who you expose your audience to. And uh, anyway, I've learned that since then. And you see, uh, that's important because there is a lot of noise out there and most of it is worthless. Most you know, most of the stuff you're seeing advertisements or are nothing more than marketing and they are not very useful and they're likely to lose you money. The challenge is to figure out who to take seriously and who not to take seriously. I will say that in my own experience, uh, you actually cannot draw a direct correlation between marketing efforts and value. Okay, and that's really important. In other words, there are, in fact, individuals who market very heavily and who are actually still worth listening to. Let me give you an example. Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki is a master marketer. He is so good at marketing that you often don't even know that you are on the receiving end of it when you are. Now, I recognize that about Robert. I also recognize that Robert's books and philosophy have fundamentally changed my life and the lives of hundreds of thousands of other people. So, guess what? There is a tremendous amount of value in what he does, even though he's a marketing machine. Now, another area where you kind of see that is in the area of newsletters. Okay, newsletters are particularly difficult to assess because, you know, what is the business model of a newsletter in the first place? Well, they aren't, you know, they aren't, partnering with you on an investment, et cetera. What they're doing is they're selling newsletters. Uh, so if you want to have a successful newsletter, you have to have people actually buy it. Um, if you can't sell those newsletters, you're not going to make any money. If you're not going to make any money, anybody worth listening to is not going to write them. Make sense? So how do you get people to buy them? Well, you have to advertise. And when you advertise, Sometimes you sound a little bit cheesy. That's just the nature of advertisements. It's the way you sell things. Now, does that mean that a newsletter, therefore, is not valuable because it has, uh, you know, sort of a advertising marketing flavor to it? In my opinion, the answer is no. In fact, if you look at it, there are really some really, really smart people writing uh, newsletters with tremendous value who are... Uh, who are marketing like crazy. I mean, like these examples, I mean, um, I'm, I, you know, I, I follow Marin Katusa uh, in the junior mining sector. Uh, also, Doug Casey is another one. These are a 
couple of examples of really smart people writing interesting information, whether or not you're going to take it, that's another question, but they're really smart, thoughtful newsletters that are marketed very heavily. You know, one of my favorite newsletters is actually Palm Beach Confidential written by Tika Tiwari. Uh, ironically, I met Tika at one of Marin Katusa and Doug Casey's events. He was one of their guests there. Now, Palm Beach Confidential is, um, is a cryptocurrency-focused newsletter, uh, and I have been a subscriber to it for a couple of years now. And in fact, I, I, I subscribed to it after meeting uh, Tika at one of these events and realizing, man, this guy's really smart. He's not, you know, I saw some of the advertisements for Palm Beach Confidential, and frankly, I just thought it was kind of cheesy. I didn't think it was real. It seemed really scammy. But then I met this guy, and he's really thoughtful and smart, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this thing a try. Um, so over that time, though, the last couple of years of being a subscriber um, and getting to know his work, not only him personally, I've really come to appreciate how much time and thought and you know, the approach that Tika puts into his work and uh, you know, all of the methodology that goes into that research, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of hard work and I appreciate it. And uh, these are speculative investments that he's focusing on. Uh, and I certainly don't agree with everything he says or recommends even in Palm Beach Confidential, but he works his tail off and is one of the primary sources for cryptocurrency news and information that I use. Um, as you know, I have my own uh, podcast uh, consensus network, which, well, I don't do as much on right now, but um, I will say that Tika is one of the places where I get information. There's other sources as well, but his picks have done extremely well. Now, understand that uh, this has been an area where, you know, there's been crypto winter, so nobody's done great, but I think the things that he's done in particular have had a lot of uh, a lot of thought behind them. I think a lot of them are going to do it really, really well. Anyway, uh, that's why you've been getting emails from me uh, regarding Tika's latest venture, and that I've basically, you know, cut and pasted his uh, invitations to his latest venture into the cannabis space. Um, Tika works under the umbrella of a marketing machine called Palm Beach Research Group. And, you know, this thing, like I said, is a marketing machine. Uh, and I don't really have an opinion on most of what they do because I'm only really concerned with the individuals that provide the underlying content of a given newsletter. So Tika is one of these guys that I like. So I wanted to definitely support him uh, because I know he's been working hard uh, to get in the cannabis space. And a lot of people in Wealth Formula nation, including myself, have been trying to figure out how to get exposure to this cannabis world, um, investing while avoiding all of the shady characters that seem to go along with it. And, and that's a tough job, but that's the focus of Tika's latest adventure. And uh, if anyone can do it well, I think he can. So make sure to uh, tune in here. In a minute, we'll be back after these messages with Tika Tiwari of Palm Beach Confidential, now talking about his newest foray into the cannabis world. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest and Wealth Formula podcast, he is well known to you. I'm sure his name is Tika Tiwari. Uh, Tika's got a pretty inspirational story uh, growing up in foster care in the UK, uh, then going to the US at the age of 16 with 150 bucks in his pocket, only to become an employee at Lehman Brothers at just the age of 18. <laughs> 
when I was pretty much out there partying and doing nothing else. And only two years later, became the youngest vice president in the history of Shearson Lehman. He went on to become a hedge fund manager and has had a tremendous amount of success on both Wall Street and off Wall Street. And most notably in recent years, and probably familiar to you, is uh, his, his work in the cryptocurrency space uh, with his well-known Palm Beach Confidential newsletter, to which I am a subscriber. Tika, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks, Buck. It's wonderful to be here. So, Tika, you've been on the show before a couple times talking about cryptocurrency. And one of the things I like about you and your approach is how much research you do and everything. And despite being in such highly volatile arenas like crypto, you're really cautious. You've been you know, very open about uh, you know, being uh, uh, maybe not being as cautious early in your career. Obviously, you're you know 20 years old, specifically around the Asia crisis, late 90s. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and how it framed the way you invest in your philosophy sort of over the next 20 years? Sure. So I was about 27, 28 in the late 90s when the Asian crisis was happening. And I had at that point, I had been working on Wall Street for about 10 years and I had never been wrong. So every investment that I believed in, I went all in on and used maximum leverage. And this had worked for 10 years and I had made a, a lot of money. I was very wealthy at a very young age. And I was operating under the belief that this Asian crisis was going to get worse and the, that the whole market would collapse. And so I went net short, meaning I sold stocks short um, and I bought put options. I went into the futures market and the I was right. The stock market fell apart and it started to collapse. Uh, but then the Federal Reserve came out and in a bid to save the banks, cut interest rates. And then the whole market started to rally. And instead of cashing in my chips, I had this kind of ego moment where I'm right, the market's wrong, and I started shorting more and more and more and more. And long story short, I think we all know how this ends. In a three-week period of time, I was essentially bankrupt and actually had to file for bankruptcy uh, about a year and change uh, after that. It was a devastating loss after a 10-year run that almost you know, wiped me out. And it took me two years just to mentally get back to where I was before and to have the mental strength to look at the mistakes I made. And ultimately, what it came down to was, um, you know, I'm very good at, uh, uh, at finding new trends. I'm very good at reading the tea leaves, but I had no risk management in place. And so what I realized I needed to do was I needed a way to manage my risk, whether through position sizing, whether through stop losses, I couldn't go all in and bet it all on black again, right? And so this is what completely transformed the way that I manage my money uh, and, and the techniques and the lessons that I teach to my hundreds of thousands of subscribers across my different newsletters. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the reasons I bring that up is because I, I like the way you're so transparent about it. I, I've said before many times that I think that uh, one of the things that when you have somebody you're listening to um, and, and you know, for potentially for guidance in, in investing, it's nice to have people with a little bit of scar tissue because if the only thing that you've ever seen is blue skies, um, you know, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. You're not looking for the storm to hit. 
And um, that's uh, that's kind of the approach I think you've taken. Um, and and talk a little bit about that specifically when it comes to small proportion, um, small size allocations, things that you do, basic sort of fundamentals. So a lot of what I'm really famous for is this type of investing called asymmetric risk investing. And so asymmetric risk investing is where you can take what's essentially a trivial amount of money, $200, $400. I'm talking, this is all relative, right? If you live in Bangladesh, $200 isn't a trivial amount of money. But for the average American, two to $400 is a relatively small amount of money. And then you allocate this into a basket of ideas that have the ability to go up 10x, 100x, in some cases, more than 1,000x. And so when the whole crypto boom uh, started, I said, look, this is an incredibly volatile market. You can't put money in that uh, you're going to miss. You have to take small, even-sized positions across a broad portfolio of ideas because some of these are going to go to zero right? There's no question some will go to zero. But if you take a small amount of money, five to 10% of your liquid net worth, you can grow it dramatically. And, you know, since doing that and sticking to that, I've received countless emails from people saying how they've become millionaires, or they've transformed their retirement, they took $12,000 and turned it into 1.2 million, or they took $10,000 and turned it into $300,000. I mean, they're moving the needle on their life, their financial life, without putting their current life at risk. And and this, to me, is is the crux of what I do. If you're not yet wealthy, there are investments that can get you wealthy without you putting your current net worth at risk. A lot of that um, is with, at least with crypto and presumably with other things that you're doing, are dealing with small cap, small cap stocks, small cap, you know, cryptos. Is that is that fair? Yes, although there is a new way um, that I have discovered to, it's actually one of my favorite ways to make money where you can take a small amount of money and multiply it dramatically. Until recently, um, yeah, I hate to say this, but you had to really be already very wealthy to participate in this market, but some rules have recently changed that have opened that market up. And, and this is, um, and I'm going to be having an event talking specifically sure. about this new form of investing. Right. So when, let's get to kind of what, uh, you know, the approach, the re- one of the reasons I wanted to have you on um, is that I have had a number of investors, so I've had a number of listeners um, asked me the question uh, about how to get exposure to marijuana. So mm-hmm. when I first started hearing about the legalization of marijuana myself, my first thought was that it is essentially, listen, this is a big deal because it's the end of prohibition. And whoever invests in the you know Budweiser or Coors of the psychotropic part of this industry is going to make a lot of money. But there actually is another part of this market, which I'm actually personally even more interested in at least for the short term and it has to has no mood changing effects at all can you talk about the different elements of cannabis investing yes so i the biggest uh mistake i see investors making right now is focusing in on the psychoactive uh uh, marijuana right the marijuana that gets you high that has this cannabinoid called thc in the thing is is that's a that's a tiny market relative to 
the legal markets. There are two forms of cannabis. There's illegal cannabis, cannabis that is illegal at the federal level that has THC. And then there's something called legal cannabis, which is called hemp, that has CBD. So CBD is a, a derivative of the hemp plant. It's a cannabinoid. There are more than 100 cannabinoids in, in, in marijuana. But CBD is legal. And CBD, the CBD market is expected to impact $2.6 trillion worth of other markets. And that's according to Merrill Lynch. So let's put that in perspective with the, um, with the psychoactive market, right? So the psychoactive recreational market globally is $166 billion, which is a big market, but it's tiny in comparison to CBD. So CBD is being been linked with, um, it, and it doesn't get you high at all. It has no psychoactive components. So CBD has been linked to anti-inflammation, helping people sleep, pain relief, arthritis relief. Uh, uh, vets have been using them um, uh, for, to treat uh, PTSD. Uh, you know, the science is still very new around CBD, but the groundswell of support for CBD is massive. And you've got enormous corporations lining up to put CBD in their products. So I'm talking about multi-billion dollar companies, Constellation Brands, Altria, uh, uh, Target, Walmart, CVS are all going to be carrying CBD products. So, so the CBD trend is much, much bigger than the recreational trend. And there's going to be much more money to be made on the CBD side uh, than there will be on the recreational side. So how did you get interested in this stuff in the first place? Because it seems like you know, crypto to, to cannabis, where, where, what got you really excited about this and, and what was sort of the aha moment? Well, I was always very negative on cannabis. I grew up under this belief that cannabis was the devil's lettuce. And it was right. if you smoked cannabis, there was something wrong with you. And you were a slacker and a loser. And you were never going to have a successful life. So this was, you know, everybody from our generation was pretty much raised with that idea. And then so in December of last year, I saw the farm bill get passed, which legalized hemp and legalized CBD. And I said, okay, that's really interesting. And then I saw uh, Constellation Brands, uh, the, the huge beverage maker. Right. So, so, they, so they own that, uh, that Mexican beer. Um, what is it? Begins with C. Corona. Corona. Okay, yeah, yeah, they own Corona. They, they own a, a ton of different beers. And so they put up $4 billion. They invested $4 billion in a CBD slash marijuana company. And then Altria the maker of Philip Morris, uh, uh, sorry, the maker of uh, Marlboro cigarettes, they ponied up $1.8 billion. And then Novartis, which is a $185 billion drug company, yep. they got involved in the space. And so when I saw major A-list blue chip companies getting involved in CBD, I said, okay, this is real and I need to do a deep dive into it. And I did. I went everywhere from the fields of Columbia to the labs in in, Toronto, in, uh, uh, in Western Toronto, uh, to the CBD fields uh, in, in Canada, to the dispensaries, um, to the cultivation rooms. I did a deep, 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 deep dive. And what I discovered was really incredible. It completely changed my mind about the efficacy of these products, how they're changing people's lives on the medical front, and how this, even 
the combination of CBD and THC in very low dosages is absolutely transforming people, getting them off opioids. It, it really is remarkable stuff, Bob. Yeah. I mean, let, so let's focus a little bit on the legalization yeah. aspect. So I'm not, you know, like you, maybe the way you grew up, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the pot culture, right? It kind of irritates mm -hmm. me. I really don't like the smell of it. Um, and frankly, I'm not excited to see smoking, uh, smoking it legalized because it'll invade my personal space. But a lot of people feel, um, and a lot of people actually feel that way, I think. And I suspect that will potentially slow down the progress, at least of the THC part in the United States. But uh, in reality, the, the, um, the, the CBD part is very different. And that was like really eye-opening for me. In fact, I will tell you that I have chronic back problems. And I kind of one day uh, recently in the last month, uh, decided that, you know what, um, I, I had pulled my back again and ibuprofen wasn't doing anything and I do not like to take things like Vicodin, et cetera, because I, d I don't like the way they make me feel. So I went and actually got some CBD and I will tell you, I mean, I'm not joking you, it was like six hours later, it was comp my, my pain was completely gone. And I, I sound, remember I'm a physician here, okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But this is this really happened to me, and now I've I've had a couple of times where that happened again, and I took it, and like clockwork, I'm like, this is not. I mean, I wasn't going into it thinking it was going to work. I was going into it thinking it wasn't going to work, right? And yeah. it worked. I don't know if you've had any sort of personal experiences like that as well, but but that's really got got me excited. I have. It's why I started using it. I, I work out a lot, but over the years, I've developed chronic pain in in my shoulder and in my wrists. And sometimes it's debilitating. And so I thought, okay, let me try this CBD stuff. And, uh, and I did. And by the next morning, I could move like I was in my early 30s. It, right. it was right. wild, because it wasn't just the pain in my shoulder and wrist went away. The joint pain that you kind of forget about because you're just so used to living with it every day, right. you don't really notice that it's there until it's gone. And yeah. all of a sudden, I'm thinking, Oh my God, it doesn't hurt to move my body. So yes, I, I've, I'm a believer in the product. Yeah. And so as a physician, again, um, I'm backing up and I, when this happened, I started to read up a little bit on it. And um, as you know, there was a recent release of a, an FDA approved drug for intractable epilepsy in children. Um, so in that regard, to me, CBD and the effects that we're seeing, the effects that I think science is actually you know, showing now, even I think in, uh, I think there was a 60 minutes episode showing the benefits to, um, you know, uh, opioid addicts and that sort of thing. Uh, to me, CBD is not parallel to the end of prohibition as I was thinking about marijuana in general, but rather the discovery of something more like aspirin, where it is a drug that permeates our life and has, you know, some very, very strong clinical beneficial uses that we're just not using would you what do you think of that analysis or what that sort of parallel yeah I, I would say that's accurate i would take it a step further and say unlike aspirin which can have some pretty nasty side effects if you take too much of it so far we haven't seen that in cbd and also unlike aspirin cbd will show up in foods beverages creams it's going to touch every aspect of our life within the next couple of years yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. So you say that participating right now in the cannabis market is 
potentially bigger than cryptos. And that's saying a lot, in my view, as, as I, I am a, a crypto guy. Um, I am a, a blockchain. Um, as, as, as am I. <laughs> yes. Right. And I was going to say, is, as, and, and, and you are too. So that is saying a, a lot. Explain what you mean by that. I'm just looking at pure market size, right? So if you look at crypto, the market value of crypto is $250, $300 billion. Merrill Lynch says CBD will impact $2.6 trillion worth of goods, right? And, and it will happen faster than crypto. So as soon as we're actually waiting right now for the FDA to come out with guidelines on, on, on how CBD can be added into foods, but you look at uh, the CEO of Mondelez, which owns all these different brands like Chips Ahoy and Cadbury's. He, the CEO is saying, we're just waiting. As soon as it's ready, you'll have CBD in Oreos, you'll have CBD in Chips Ahoy and Miller Wafers. It's going to go in everything. Okay, so unlike crypto, which is going to take time to reach that level of market saturation, you're going to see, it'll feel like overnight. One day you'll walk into your store and there's no CBD products. The next day you'll walk in and there'll be 8,000 CBD products. It'll be everywhere and it will permeate every aspect of, a, of American life. Yeah. Interesting. So so I've said it before. I love the space and I'd love to get some exposure. However, uh, investing in private placements in this uh, industry, um, I found to be pretty challenging. Um, you know, private placements are mostly where... I invest most of where my credit investor group invests. Um, the real, the reality I found in this space is there's just so much darn shadiness that mm-hmm. I, I can't, you know, I could never pull the trigger on anything in particular. So how do you get exposure to this kind of industry without the risk of getting totally burned? So you have to do a tremendous amount of research. So we, we on our side, have looked at more than 70 deals, private deals, as well as we've looked at every major a public player in the space. And, and like crypto, many of them are either just bad ideas or outright fraudulent. Right. So, um, you know, a, a quick litmus test for us is if, is if we send you 20 questions and you never respond, <laughs> that's you're automatically out, right? Yeah. So, um, so, so we, the work that we've been doing, once, we, once you pass that first test of answering our 20 questions, the next thing we do is see how you do in a live one-on-one and nine out of 10 won't even show up for the one-on-one like something like this. And the rest that do, they, they, you'll ask them a difficult question and they either won't answer it. They'll evade, uh, or they'll just punt. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, I, I'm a big believer in this self-selection process of people weeding out, just ask very direct questions and uh, the wrong people won't be able to answer them. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, and, and then we have to fly. So once, somebody, once we get somebody to that point where we've, we've done that, they've passed all these interviews and, and we've done the research, then we actually fly out and we say, okay, you say you own these assets, do you own them? So we go look at the assets. Then we go look at who actually owns the assets. Does the, does the company that they're saying own the assets actually own them? Uh, and then we sit down with the, with, the, with the team for hours and hammer them with the most direct, embarrassing questions that most people are just too embarrassed to ask, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, what's your biggest failure and what did you learn? Or I'll even say, I don't believe you. Why should I believe you? Just really obnoxious. Right. You know, you want to be obnoxious because you want to see, okay, 
what, what's this guy made of, right? Can, can, can he handle a little bit of pressure or not? And if, you know, if you're talking to a CEO like that and he just collapses or loses his temper, he's just not the right guy for you to invest with. Yeah. And there, for, for people who are, are not into private placements, obviously there's the option of some small caps as well. Um, you've got something coming up uh, called, and, and I have to tell you, I've, I've sent out some emails about this. The, the name, I think, is, is, is a little tricky. It's Pocket Change Millionaire Summit. Um, yes. Tell us about it. <laughs> so what this is, is where I'm going to reveal an approach that I've used to turn as little as $1,000 into $1.6 million. And it's not crypto. So um, I'm going to talk about, uh, about that investment approach, that investment method, uh, and I'm also going to talk, obviously, about CBD and the market and how we see that market emerging and where I uh, am finding the best investment opportunities in CBD. Because like you, I'm an investor. And like you, I've dealt with the same frustration of the amount of fraud and bad ideas in this space. So this is why I've been I mean, I flew down to Columbia to look at a deal. I had an armed escort with me. We were in bulletproof, bulletproof Toyota Land Cruisers. And, uh, you know, I went up into the mountains uh, to view this 2,200-acre uh, site, about 4,000 feet up. And they're ripping out all the pineapples and pine trees, and they're planting CBD. So Columbia is going to become the lowest cost provider of CBD in the world. But, you know, they're, they're all in cost is like 10 cents a gram, which is, you know, incredibly cheap. Nobody can compete with that at this point. So the Colombian government is all in on CBD, and uh, they're in the process of getting GMP certified to the EU so they can actually start selling directly into the EU. Um, so, so I've, I've been doing that. I've been meeting with uh, a lot of the players in Canada, which is kind of where all the money is right now in, in this space, because it's legal at a national level and the banks can work with Canadian companies. I've interviewed some of the biggest CEOs, uh, in the space. And, and what I will say, and I'm going to kind of pull back the curtain here a little bit. CBD is just one cannabinoid. Right, there are a, a hundred cannabinoids, and so what I've been doing, Buck, is focusing on uh, at least on the public company side, companies that are looking at exploiting different cannabinoids. See, the the problem right now that needs to be solved is that you've got cannabinoids like THCV, which is an appetite suppressant. Well, THCV, that cannabinoid, is less than one percent of a typical plant. In order to isolate THCV. It's, it's very expensive. You can't do it at scale, right? Let's say, if, let's say a pharma company wants to create a pill that, that is an appetite suppressant. There's no way for them to do it at scale right now. So one of the things I've been looking at are companies that are creating biosynthetic cannabinoids and that can, can, can create them at scale. Because once you can do that, they can then license them out. And you know, now you, you're creating a multi-billion dollar skinny pill, literally a skinny pill. You take the pill. I don't need to eat. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think we could all, I think we could all use that. So, so what the, the summit is going to be is just sort of describing the process, maybe talking about some of the companies involved and uh, an introduction potentially to, you know, some of, some of the, some of a maybe a new uh, newsletter you're doing. Um, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So, um, 
I, we, I've been writing some emails out to people and you can, you know, if you've seen that, you see the link there, but you can also go to wealthformula.com and you'll see an icon there that says how to invest in cannabis. And if you click on that, you can register for uh, this event that uh, Tika is putting on. Um, Tika, I wanted to, before we go, I know we've been talking about um, pot and cannabis here, but, um, you know, I have a lot of people who are Palm Beach Confidential subscribers, including myself. Something that happened recently in crypto, I just need to get your thoughts on before we go. <laughs> um, Facebook. Uh, has released a paper, a white paper, uh, uh, regarding Libra, which is their cryptocurrency. They're calling it a cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious on your thoughts of the impact of Libra on uh, on the cryptocurrency market in general. Is it positive or is it negative? Oh, I think it's wildly positive. But first, let's be clear. Libra is not a cryptocurrency. It's just right. a payment rail. It's an internal payment rail among a group of uh, uh, providers, right? right. It's, it's very similar to PayPal, except they're using a tokenized form. Uh, it's not a true cryptocurrency. But the reason why I think it's very beneficial is that Facebook decided to latch on to that nomenclature. Right, right. Of, of that narrative of crypto, mm -hmm. which means they're going to have to educate their 2.6 billion users or whatever the number is now on, on what cryptocurrency is, how it works, how you use it, what a wallet is. And now this all of a sudden is going to open the doorway to people discovering real cryptocurrencies right. like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, like Dash and all these other coins that are out there. So to me, I see this as incredibly bullish for the overall market. And in fact, even as you've seen Libra get launched, Bitcoin has been going up. It's only going to bring more people into the ecosystem. And when you have one of the world's most valuable companies uh, educating uh, soccer moms and the average everyday person on crypto, it's very, very beneficial for uh, for the broad-based market. I have to admit, I did something uncharacteristic which me, for me, which was to buy Facebook stock today. And, mm -hmm. and the reason I did that is because I do, uh, like you, I think this is going to be a big deal. Um, but I don't, and I do think it's sort of a gateway to, to you know, Bitcoin and that sort of thing. But I think what you're going to see is um, you'll, I think people will start to see the limitations of of a centralized cryptocurrency, uh, and that is what's going to drive people to to Bitcoin. For example, I think it'd be quite easy to for a government to ban uh, the use of Libra or Facebook, and we see in China is already banned Facebook, right? right. Um, and so, to be able to want to use that mechanism, but use it in a way that is censorship free, it's not printable, it's not confiscatable. I think that's uh, that's the value. But initially, I think it's going to be a, a really big deal for Facebook as a company. I mean, they're basically a central bank now. Right. They Well, they, they've basically created their own central payment right. system. They, they, it's, it's essentially an internal PayPal that yep. they've created, which is very beneficial for them. Uh, they're going to make a lot of money from it. The profits will be tremendous, but it's not a cryptocurrency. It's, yep. a, it's a centralized payment system, just like any other centralized payment system that can be blocked, uh, uh, confiscated um, and tracked. Fascinating stuff, Tika. As always, uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you again. Um, I highly encourage uh, people to check out uh, the uh, the summit 
uh, on this new cannabis uh, newsletter that that Tika will be doing. It, uh, you can go to wealthformula.com, uh, click on the how to invest in cannabis icon to sign up for that and check it out. Tika, uh, thanks so much for being back on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks for having me, Buck. It's wonderful to be here. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Tika is always a very insightful guy to talk to, and I enjoy talking to him. Um, you know, he really has an incredible perspective, having been inside and outside of Wall Street for as long as he has. Um, I should also point out that one of the things that I think is interesting about Tika is he doesn't really need to work anymore. He's made a lot of money, uh, and he's a guy who just really genuinely loves the game. Right, and his game, as you mentioned, is investments with what we call asymmetric risk profile. That means you invest a small amount, knowing that you could lose it all, or potentially make a thousand percent on your investment. So, for people who can afford to lose a little bit of money, this is the kind of investing uh, that may have a small part in your portfolio. Um, and to me, for example, that's where cryptocurrency has been. Uh, understand that ninety percent of my investable assets. Uh, are going into real estate again this year. I mean, these acquisitions, by the way, if you're invest wondering what I'm investing, I'll be very clear on that. Um, primarily what I'm investing is, uh, is real estate that is coming through Investor Club. So again, if you're an accredited investor and you're interested in what those kinds of opportunities look like, join Investor Club at wealthformula.com. Um, however, if you have some money to play with, you know, adding a small allocation for asymmetric risk investments can really add some potential juice to your portfolio. And guess what? It's actually really fun too. So maybe that risk you take is in the area of cannabis. I don't know. Uh, that's up to you. I, uh, I don't know for sure that if I will subscribe to Tika's newsletter myself. I have subscribed to his cryptocurrency newsletter and I really enjoy it. But one thing's for sure, I will definitely be checking out the presentation that it, he's going to be doing. And if you want to do the same, go ahead to wealthformula.com and click on the icon that says how to invest in cannabis and you'll see, guess what, his sales page. But again, just watch it. Watch it and see what you think. Uh, that's all you can do. I know Tika. I like him. I think he's a smart guy and he has a lot of integrity. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.